As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Panic. Uh-huh. uh-huh. To be able to bring uh-huh. people together. What do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention deans anymore. Actually, what I like to put in Kevin Durant. The trial, you're one with the tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. Is that rocket science? I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA writer at The Athletic, here with Anthony Slater, normally West Coast, now in the great state of Tennessee, looking dreary-eyed. No offense, Slater, love you, but I'm, I'm seeing it a little bit. I'm seeing it. We, uh, we, we had clay day last night, and you were at the arena very late Good old Chase down by the bay, and uh, you were nice enough to give me a ride to my car in the middle of the night to truck on down the road to catch an early flight to get to Memphis through where again? I know you weren't direct. Dallas. Dallas. Okay. You loving that beat life, life or beat riding life right now? Oh, it was a lot easier when I could just hop on Zoom and go to any press room I wanted the last few years from my couch. Um, Bite your tongue. It's as a member of the PBWA. Yeah. I don't want to hear that. Well, look, it's way better from a work product standpoint. Hundred percent. I, I am enjoying <laughs> me back on the road. I'm, I'm enjoying feeling somewhat normal. But yeah, these are the days when it is a seven a.m. flight after a long night in the arena, and you wake up, you're like, wait, I'm in Tennessee, and then now tonight, like James Wiseman is at, at, you know, he went to high school in Memphis. His jersey's getting retired across town. I can either go to that or randomly, the Warriors are sending Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody to a G League game that's actually 15 minutes down the road, but it's in Mississippi. It's like right so across. They got you running it's right across the border and i'm like am i going to mississippi tonight i'm like wasn't i just in san francisco last night it's just very <laughs> it's very confusing this is the life of beat writers at times life of a beat writer all right to give folks a, a quick breakdown of today's show we have a very exciting guest coming on the back end the one and only john hollinger is going to join us we're going to talk all things memphis grizzlies his old stomping grounds and trade deadline stuff plenty to get into there but Slater and I and quite a few others were at that Clay Thompson reunion last night, and we did want to reunion. highlight it, spin it forward. Did I call it a reunion? See, I'm a little I mean, tired, too. I mean, you know, that high school Return. reunion. They had some high school reunion vibes. I don't know why I said reunion. Return, 941 days. If you haven't heard that number by now, then you're not tuned in. Uh, 941 days since Clay went down in game six of the 2019 NBA Finals, obviously with an ACL tear. And then November 2020 goes down with an Achilles tear. You know, one of the most unique and challenging injury situations in my entire career covering pro sports, let alone the NBA. Um, And it was a a really, really interesting night. 
you know, I made the choice to make the drive. As you know, I, I've been complaining the last couple of years about how from my home base, getting to Chase Center is tougher than getting to Oracle. So I, you know, but for, for Clay Day, it was worth the trip over the bridge and the parking snafus and all those types of things to see 18,000 plus, you know, show support for this guy that as we know, and as you guys have written so many times and and captured that the, the Bay loves him back. They This dude is just cut different and wired in the kind of way that resonates with the people of that entire region. Uh, I know you've written about it and you've probably done, you know, quite a few interviews today about it, but, you know, just takeaways from the night, what, what's going to kind of resonate and, and stay with you. Well, 941 days is the number that, as you said, is gets referenced a bunch, but I think the big ones, like he was just turned 29 when he hurt the ACL and he's turning 32 next month. I mean, that yeah. part of his career, the fact that it's not just, you know, he lost a few seasons, he lost 29 to 32 essentially um and you know i think that hits him. prime real estate yeah i mean and you think about when he got injured i mean that was like a highlight moment in his career he was like better than Kawhi leonard on in game six do you remember that game yeah oh, i yeah. mean he was like the story of the night um yeah. and you're on the floor with steph curry kevin durant Kawhi leonard okay because katie got hurt but you oh, kevin's yeah. out i'm sorry Damn it. There goes my point. Well, All but, right. But generally Kevin. that adds to like the whole, remember the, the, the only reason that game existed, the only reason he got hurt, you know, if, if you want to go butterfly effect is because after Durant did get hurt in Toronto, him and Steph Curry br- dragged them from that game five, like presumed lost. I mean, they hit three threes in the final 30 seconds to, when Toronto was like, remember Toronto was like celebrating the finals. Anyways, I went down a road. Right. I didn't mean to. Um, yeah. So. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I was going to piggyback because the butterfly effect was on my mind last night for a different reason. And I wrote some of this, but I'll be honest later, you know, some nights at the office, you end up pumping your fist and saying, man, I killed it. And then others, you kind of go, oh boy, I left some, I left some, uh, some money on the table. So I, I tried to go down memory lane a little bit regarding the what if scenario of 2014, when the Warriors decided not to trade Clay Thompson. And the part that kind of gets forgotten is that, you know, that Draymond Green was part of those discussions as well. And the prospect of the Warriors losing Clay and Draymond in exchange for uh, Kevin Love and Kevin Martin, who they didn't want, but would potentially be their starting shooting guard instead of Clay Thompson. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's a wild what if scenario to look back at because of obviously who Clay and Draymond became after that, what the Warriors accomplished. And so the theme that I tried to hit on was the idea that defense was the priority then. That's why they chose not to do it. Defense is a priority now, and it's a major part of their identity. But the butterfly effect stuff that I missed and that I I should have kept diving down that rabbit hole is the idea that, you know, the one and only Andrew Wiggins now is a major part of what this Warriors team is doing. And at that time, you know, Andrew was, uh, you know, he headed to Minnesota because Flip Saunders, then running the T-Wolves, had ended up doing that Kevin Love deal with Cleveland instead of the one with the Warriors. So it's a hell of a thing to unpack all of that and think about how Wiggins is now expanding the Warriors window. Clay obviously stayed put. Draymond stayed put, became an incredible player. And Kevin Love's had a wonderful career, but because they happened to play the Cavs last night, pregame, Clay gets a lot of love from Kevin uh, sideline right before he takes the floor, right before tip-off. Now, those guys, of course, grew up in Oregon together, played baseball together, are very close. And then even after the game, Kevin went and gave him a big hug and was obviously very happy to see him back. But, I mean, you talk about a butterfly effect. I mean, there's a lot there. Yeah, I mean, in that Kevin Love going to the Cavaliers for Andrew Wiggins triggered the rivalry, the Warriors-Cavaliers rivalry that defined the era. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's so much um, because that's what happens when you become the team of an era, essentially. Um, You know, we are getting a note, by the way. (laughs) I see this. John Hollinger is here a little bit early. I love it. Let's just um, let's get him in and, and see if he's got some takeaways from from uh, Clay Thompson's first game. I'm sure he's had at least. Yeah, it's it's not you know it's not every day you get John Hollinger. So we are going to take a quick commercial break. On the other side, John will join us. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear 
courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, welcome back. We have got the special guest that we talked about. John Hollinger is in the house. What's up, brother? I'm doing great. How are you guys? I'm in Memphis. What do you think about that? Nice. He's awesome. in, isn't this perfect? Isn't this perfect, John? That's great. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm going to pretend, you know, I see I'm big on being humble as a, as a podcast host. I'm not going to pretend any of this was by design. It wasn't, folks. It just, you know, came together beautifully, though. John just wrote about his Memphis Grizzlies. Of course, we called mm-hmm. them his because he worked there for seven years. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I know it's the time is marching on, John. I do feel like we have to <laughs> remind people just in case they forgot that you were in that front office in a pivotal yeah. part during some of their best years. And, and I mean, that, that obviously bleeds into your coverage a lot. And I love how you always write with a bit of a first person kind of perspective on Memphis and, and use that, you know, kind of filter that you, you earned during your time there, but they are on fire. We're going to get to them in just a hot minute, but I, I want to finish this Clay Thompson discussion that we were having before. So John, uh, we were sharing with the the listeners just how Slater and I were obviously there late last night, you know, watching Clay get hugs from Kevin Love would send you down memory lane because there there was the whole what if scenario with yep. Minnesota back in 2014. There's so many layers to this thing, but we were there trying to do our thing. Uh, I'm assuming you were watching from home. What what sort of perspective and takeaways did you have watching this guy who hadn't played ball in, in 941 days on a uh, NBA floor? Honestly, I was watching the Wisconsin-Maryland game so I could write about Johnny Davis this morning. <laughs> Damn it, John. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. Damn have you seen any of the highlights? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. All right. That's oh, the most alive. amazing thing to me on that dunk was not the fact that he dunked, but the fact that he dribbled four times before he did it. <laughs> he Right? I'm, I mentioned this to Marcus on our post-game podcast last night. He dribbled so much last night. There was one possession he had 10 dribbles on. He was, like, wandering in his drives. He was doing, like, isolation. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's because he spent the last two years mostly doing individual work. But, like, he was, like, dribbling, over-dribbling at times last night. Maybe Draymond wasn't there either, which might add to it. But Mm -hmm. Was it 11 dribbles in in the famous 60-point game? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you kind of wonder if you spend a lot of time, and John, you probably have the best outlook on this front. Like, if you spend a ton of time, not only rehabbing, but then rehab, you know, rehabbing to a point where, and I wrote this, like, you know, his people say he could have played in in early December. You know what I mean? Like, he's been ready for a while, and they took their time. So, if you're actually running and you're and you're just you're really playing, but you're playing with a bunch of guys who are below your level, I do feel like you know that inevitably is going to lead to more ISO play, more dribbling. And, and more freelancing than you would if you're playing in Steve Kerr's system. I don't really know what it's like to play with people who are below my level <laughs> as a player. So I, I can't really relate to that. <laughs> Fair he, point. He has definitely like just mostly just done individual work though. I mean, I, that's all I've seen for the last okay. couple of years when he's been on the court. I mean, you know, I besides, do, uh, yeah, I do spend, I do spend a lot time loans so i can relate to that part we caught most of that your wi-fi wasn't liking your joke it, oh it's still, my god yeah <laughs> did you say you spent a lot of time alone that's what you can yeah. relate to yeah yeah well you don't spend that much time alone you spend a lot of time with nate duncan so the part of me that's just <laughs> i'm so happy to have you on this podcast because we all know that you and nate do your thing on on your pod but no i mean John, let, let's take it here. Mm-hmm. The Warriors were had already become uh, kind of a badass team again before mm-hmm. Clay came back. The little wrinkle that that I certainly didn't see coming is that right about the time Clay was going to come back, that you know, and, and we were talking about the West in terms of Golden State, Phoenix, and Utah. Here come the Grizzlies to say, no, hold on a second. That there might be a top four in the West and another team that that might deserve that kind of distinction as being elite. 
Um, read your column, enjoyed it. You know, like you kind of hinted at Jaron Jackson Jr. is a major part of that. And and you were part of the group that drafted him in 2018, but a lot of great guys putting in uh, good work over there. What are you seeing as far as this, this rise they're part of right now? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, getting Morant at, at number two in, in 2019 is the key to the whole thing, but then trading up or actually, I think they traded in actually to get Bain at 30, just to take, and his canter is 5 million. And I think they gave up two seconds in that. I mean, they, they hit that pick out of the park. I mean, Baines become such a deadly shooter and pairing him with Morant uh, now where he's, where Morant is so good at dribbling and creating. And now you have this deep shooter next to him. It's, it's just been a lethal combination. And now you look at the Grizzlies, they have a clean cap sheet. They have trade assets. They have expiring contracts. Like, is there is the window open now? Is it open at the beginning of next year? Like if it's, if the window isn't open right now, it's definitely open soon. Right. And so you start thinking more in terms of up until now, it's been win later decisions, right? Like from the moment we traded Mark, uh, Mark in uh, February, 2018, I think it was um, the years run together. It might be 2019. Um, But from that moment, it's all been all about the future. I think now all of a sudden it's like, Hey, now we got now we got to back go back to being about the present and they have expiring contracts. They have different things they can do. They're deep as hell, but again, in a playoff situation, it really comes down to your top five or six guys. And so, can they make meaningful upgrades with what they have right now? Is there somebody out there who represents that upgrade, or are they better off just waiting till the off season? What's Bane on a title contender? Like what well, you know, like three years from now, is it, would he? Can he be a third best player for? Like where are you at on Bane? Yeah, probably like the number number three or four guy, right? Like, like realistically, if you're if you're contending for a title, you probably have two of the best twenty players in the league at least. Um, the Grizzlies would you would say looking forward they would have one of them certainly. Do they have that second guy right now? You know, can can Jaron Jackson become that? Maybe. Do they need to trade for that? Try to tr- try to get that guy that way. Maybe. Um, you know, I, th- I think that's where you question a little more. And then I think everything after that kind of snaps into place if the if you get that second really high level guy, uh, because then you know Bain can play off of that. Brooks, obviously, when he comes back, uh, the bench is, again is really strong. You know, you have these guys, Melton Jones. Concar, you know, Steven Adams, a couple of those might have to be contracts that go into a trade, obviously, but they're, I mean, they're so crazy deep. The, uh, the Brooks injury obviously is not great MCL, but like, like you kind of chronicled, you know, they've been winning games when Jaws out, winning games when Dylan's out and that depth is, is coming in. I wonder, John, I mean, again, you spend seven years there, you still have, you know, connective tissue to this group. Um, but you think about the Grizzlies nationally. And we all know, like, listen, they don't get a ton of media attention. I guarantee you that they were ecstatic that you wrote a column about them today because they're just not getting the kind of love. If if the Lakers were doing something like this, it would be all day, every day, all over the country. But if you ask Joe Blow, casual fan, uh, about, you know, who represents the Memphis Grizzlies, once you get past Ja, uh, you know, even if you get outside the player realm, they, you know, I, I think about the fact that, like, if you, if Zach Kleiman's not a guy who people know. You know what I mean? Their executive uh, VP and the GM of their team. Um, you know, Taylor Jenkins is a guy that could walk into your local Safeway and and not get harassed by anybody. Uh, maybe not in the heart of Memphis, but in most places. Like yeah. as you assign credit here, and I know it's a collective type thing, and and you know the way they've built this thing. Um, who kind of pops into your mind first, and and how do you see just the way they put it together? You you mean in terms in terms of the the building of beyond. The team? Beyond, yeah, beyond drafting Ja, uh-huh. what? Is, how do you see the way they have built this thing, and and who do you give a hat tip to regarding? I, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's hard because I'm so connected to this. Obviously, I mean, it, get getting the picks on Bain and Brooks, turning those two into pretty good starters. I mean, I, I think that is a huge part of it, um, and then. The, the Conley and Gasol trades just the, I mean, beyond draft, the getting in the lottery for Ja and Jaron obviously was the two most important things and that required good fortune and some losing, right? Yep, but yep. 
Um, beyond that, uh, the, the the Conley trade I think was huge because they just got so much asset wise out of that, and the the you know in terms of the trade exceptions, and then taking the trade exceptions from Jamichael Green and making it a bigger exception, and that's what enabled them to do the Melton trade. That's what enabled them to get. Um, th- that's sort of what opened the door for them to to get into that Bain trade even. Um, and, and so it just creates so many opportunities for them. And still going forward, they're still sitting on that Golden State pick from, from the Iguodala deal. So the, like they're still reaping kind of the benefit of that. And then Gasol, obviously, they got Valanciunas out of that, who is now Steven Adams, plus allowed them to trade up in two different drafts as a result of that trade. So I, I think just a lot of things happened within a pretty short period there. I was there for some of it, but by no means all of it. Um, and that's it's just almost this cascading thing now where one good decision is sort of created the conditions for another good or even better decision, which is created, you know, what we have now. It's all kind of built on each other. Um, nailing the Jenkins hire, I think, was huge, too, though. I mean, I, I think this is the year where he's really shown uh, that he's the right guy there because their start was not great, if you remember. I mean, they they were nine and ten. They were hemorrhaging points on defense, um, and he pulled them out of that ditch. And so, I I think this is the year where he's really earned his stripes as a head coach. Um, and he's had some harder decisions to make with more guys who had established themselves and showed maybe they deserve minutes, and really uh, pushing Bain into a much bigger role. And what he did with him in summer league, putting him on the ball to get him that responsibility. So I, I, I think this is the year, this is the year that's really shown that I think the Jenkins hire was the right one. And it's funny. It could end up one, two in the coach of the year this year. It could Taylor Jenkins and JB Bickerstaff. Yeah. It really it could. could. I mean, the Cavs have fallen off a little bit. Yeah. But yeah. Cleveland's second half schedule is light though. They're, okay. in, they're in Sacramento tonight, Sam. So. And I'm a game, I'm a game time decision. I haven't decided oh, yet. No. Um, <laughs> I've th- told you before, though. I, I think that free Tesla juice might get me up there. That might be the uh, there the X factor. Oh yeah, plug yeah. it in. Um, why were they so bad defensively? I, I mean, I obviously I know Brooks missed the first part of the season. I know when Morant went out, they kind of turned it around defensively. But they've survived now that he's been back on that end. Like, because all yeah. I know, you know, I saw them in the play in, like, you know the way Dylan Brooks regarded step, but the way they bothered the Warriors. And then even in an early season game, while they were the 30th ranked defense, they defended the Warriors well and chased and beat them. I'm about to see that matchup tomorrow night. Why were they bad early and why have they turned it around on that? end? So it was, it was really hard for me to figure out why they were so bad actually, because it, it, I mean, I think there were some three point variants going on, but that wasn't all that there was just this like weird kind of, kind of, malaise like they were just i don't know if they were just too focused on the offense or what but it was like it was just bad all over um i think jaron jackson jr has definitely really stepped up on that end though in the in the last say five six weeks and i don't know if that's just a consequence of him really being comfortable with the knee and everything or or what but he, he has been way more impactful than he was early in the season certainly and i think I think Ja has probably improved his attention to detail on that end too, because I mean, early in the season, he really probably wasn't very good on that end. If if we're being honest. Guys, my last thought on the Memphis front, because I I do want to pivot in and I know John's a little pressed for time and we got to talk trade deadline season because it's, it's starting to heat up here for sure. But you know, you mentioned John that job is obviously the linchpin of this whole thing. That 2019 draft quickly has become fascinating because obviously you got Zion with all of his health issues and, and jaw standing out kind of a, above the rest, you know, RJ Barrett, Deandre Hunter from there, Darius Garland, um, you know, the, the gap between jaw and the rest of the field. Uh, and I know it's early and, and we got to judge these things over the course of five, six, seven years, but my God, what he's doing right now uh, as a guy coming out of Murray state and, and, uh, and just looking like a future MVP candidate is just remarkable. It, it You know, it's funny. So I went to uh, scout him cause I was still working for the Grizzlies, his, his draft year um, early in that season. And I, I was actually the only 
scout at the game. They were playing Missouri State, but a guy came down and transition transitioned and tried to shoot a floater over him. And Ja went up. It wasn't as explosive as this play last night. Like, don't don't get crazy here. But he went up and he blocked the shot with two hands and caught it <laughs> right in front of me. And I was like, holy crap. Like, did that just John, happen? is this the one that somebody actually, it might have been another play, but somebody earlier today spliced a, a video of last night next to a Murray State highlight. It might be the one you were talking about because they were they were saying that this is not the first time he's done something yeah. like this. Yeah. Um, I I'd have to go back and look. Um, uh, but yeah. Uh, so it's, it, it, it was funny to see that. Cause it was like a little bit like, I don't know, full circle is the right word or whatever, uh, for me. And it, uh, I, obviously if you did that draft again, I mean, John Morant totally goes number one. Yeah. Um, and just, uh, what did you think at the time though? Give me the scout scouting breakdown on him at the time. What, what did you think? Oh, I mean, we honestly, like we were on him from the start of that season because his, his numbers from his freshman year were really good. And, and like, even halfway through his freshman year, we're like, who's this Morant guy at Murray state? Like, what's like, is, are you sure these, you know, I'm asking the analytics, are you sure these numbers are right? Like what's going on here? Um, But that was a short drive for us. So we, we were able to go up there a few times. Like we were very familiar with him. Uh, So yeah, I, I, and I mean, I, I think it was pretty clear to virtually everyone that it was Zion Ja, and then you got to Barrett and everyone else in, in terms of how that draft shaped up to people. Um, you know, I was, I wasn't in the draft room then because the Grizzlies had made some changes by then, obviously, but I, I, I think it was a pretty easy call to take him at number two, to, to be honest. I think everyone was sure pretty, pretty much on, on the same page on that one. Sure. Sure. All right. Good stuff on the Grizz. Let's talk trades guys. Um, John, you and I talked offline a little bit earlier this week. You know, it's kind of that time of year where we start talking shop and, and figuring out what the next three, four weeks is going to look like. February 10th is the deadline. You know, we are waiting for that December 15th date to come and go where so much more of the league is going to be available and is now available for trade. Um, Sham Sharania today dropped an inside pass looking at Ben Simmons again, talking about, Atlanta as an option and, and John Collins as a possible target for Philly, which is certainly something I, I had heard as well. Uh, I don't know where you want to start, but I guess, you know, broad question, uh, you know, you have written about some of the different guys that are going to dictate the market and apologies. I don't have that piece right in front of me, so you can recap it, but you know, where is your head at in, t- in terms of this deadline? And then more specifically, as you know, because of COVID, you got these front offices that are now playing catch up. They spent so many weeks trying to fill out rosters with 10 day guys and keep their head above water. We forget sometimes that, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day. These guys are trying to get some sleep in as well. So a lot of fatigued executives that are trying to to figure out now how they can improve their roster. How do you see the, the whole season? Yeah, I mean, so here's the thing. The trade conversations that happened in the first two weeks of January, everyone's just bullshitting everyone else anyway. So I, I, I just don't think that's going to stop anything meaningful from happening. Uh, what it, It's true. Nobody had time to do any of these trade calls the last few weeks because they were just figuring out how to get eight players on the floor that night. Uh, but now, as we're seeing things hopefully shift in the league and, and guys are getting out of protocol, uh, there is more time for that to happen. I still see Simmons is kind of the first domino because I think there are other teams that are waiting to see what happens with him before they go in different directions. So it's going to be interesting though, because certainly Philadelphia has shown they're willing to wait things out, right? Are they willing to wait things out past the trade deadline? I have, a, I personally have a hard time seeing that because then you're giving up basically on a on truly contending in a year of Joel Embiid's prime when you don't know how many of those years you're getting. No, I agree 100%. And I, I think there was a time not too long ago when I thought maybe they would go past this deadline. I think my opinion has changed. And part of that is you can, you can just tell from the, the tenor of discussions with, with different execs that you talk to who have connected with them where the, you know, and you know, you know, this game, better than anyone, but you know, it's that, it's that thing where, you know, Daryl and that group is not going to come out and say, yeah, we're trading them before the deadline, but, but there's a level of urgency that people are picking up on. Um, 
what of these possibilities looks like it might potentially, or which of the possibilities might have the most legs uh, as we sit here talking about it today? What what scenarios have, have left you kind of shaking your head and saying, yeah, I could see that? The one I could see is actually Atlanta because I think Atlanta has a clear motive, right? That And they have the ability to get something done in terms of what they can offer in return, right? Is like John Collins has technically never been the in the all-star game, but Philadelphia can say face at a press conference and say they got an all-star caliber player. If they get other assets with that, like say Cam Reddish, that's A, you know, something for them going forward, but B, something they could put back in another deal with Collins this summer to get somebody they like better potentially. Um, so it, it lets them fight another day too, if they choose to go in that direction. Um, I don't think Collins is a perfect fit for Philly because having him and Tobias Harris next to each other is gets a little wonky or whatever, but it's, it's probably about as well as they could hope to do. I mean, like I, if you look at who else is like truly motivated to do something there, I think you would definitely look at Minnesota, but does D'Angelo Russell really fit with the Sixers have right now? Like I have questions about that and no. I don't see what else. Yeah. Well, no. Would be Here comes Slater. Yeah. Here comes Warriors yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Easy answer on that one. Uh, what, what do you think of Simmons in Atlanta? I mean, uh, I, it's I, interesting yeah. on two levels. One, you have Simmons and Capella. So you have two non-shooters. So how do you resolve that? Two, when Trey Young is in the game, Trey Young is on the ball and he should be on the ball because he's a brilliant offensive player, which means Ben Simmons is not on the ball. So what are you doing with him? Can you use him as a screener? Yeah, you probably can, you know, a lot of the time. But then again, like you run into the same thing, like, okay, what are we doing with Clint Capella then? Uh, So I do think you run into some issues with fit there in Atlanta. But I think the thing that would motivate the Hawks is they are just so bad on defense right now at the point of attack. And Simmons can help them so much on that end uh, that I I think Travis Schlenk may be inclined to just like make 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 that deal and kind of live with whatever. And then if he has to make adjustments in the offseason, he does. But their their pathway to getting better on defense, and they really need to get significantly better. I mean, Simmons is the clearest acquisition that you could make to to impact that. This uh, this kind of dovetails nicely into what Slater and I were talking about before you jumped on, John. We were breaking down Clay Day and the Warriors' success. And what I find interesting about the Simmons-Atlanta scenario is that Travis Schlank, Hawks GM, obviously previously of the Warriors, you know, he was part of that group that chose not to trade Clay Thompson and, and Draymond for Kevin Love back in 2014. And at that time, you know, it was largely because they were smart enough to know that Steph Curry, like Trey Young, is a wildly talented offensive player and somebody who is augmented by having somebody next to him who can defend. And, and you know, the idea of Ben Simmons having Trey to have his back uh, for this Hawks group that has just fallen off a cliff defensively makes a ton of sense. I think there's some more layers to those talks and, you know, trying to get clarity on this going forward. But the, the thing with Philly that's interesting is, you know, you hear some chatter that that they wouldn't mind getting off Tobias's money. You know, he's a hell of a player, but that's a huge contract. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that might be part of, of the situation as well. But in a vacuum, Simmons in Atlanta makes a ton of sense uh, for sure. He'd theoretically be like their Draymond, right? I mean, that's what they would want. But then that Tra- would be the, yeah. yeah, that would be the idea. Trey yeah. Young would have to like, learn how to play better off ball, which I'm sure Travis Lang would love for him to do. But, um, you know, because yeah, that, that's yeah. what makes Draymond work is the fact that Steph Curry can go take it this possession, take it the next 10 possessions. I uh, think, Trey, you know, one Trey, other... Trey, like, disconnects his controller when he's off the ball. Yeah, yeah. Well, And he's not alone in the league. That's most yeah. of these guards, right? There's a guy in L.A. who does that, who used to play in Oklahoma City, Slater. He actually bangs um, his controller against the wall. He does not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I you're, think it could t- be You talk about Paul George or someone else? Yeah, yeah. Paul George, for yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's the one. No, I think it would be interesting. Um, sleep deprivation is kicking in. I forget what direction I was going in there. But the the Hawks, man, You, I mean, you have the surprise run to the East Finals and, and a lot of hype and buzz and fun that comes with it. Uh, and, and welcome to pro sports. Welcome to the NBA. When the pressure comes back quick, man, you know what I mean? Like 
you know, Schlenk was out there making some pretty pointed public comments the other day that they kind of felt very much like the coach that's just trying to rattle his locker room a little bit. Um, you know, talking about how he's questioning, you know, his, some of his decisions and, and how to build the team, which is kind of shots fired right at the guys that he paid this summer. So, uh, you know, I think there's pressure there. The Minnesota thing, uh, John, as you know, there's a lot of layers, you know, when you've got the ownership change coming and Sachin Gupta trying to make a splash so that he can hold on to the job. Um, safe to say, though, it sounds like your feeling is that Ben is, you know, going to be the domino that's got to fall first and then everything speeds up from there if that does happen. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, we'll we'll see what happens after that, because I I do think that the one of the interesting things that the play in tournament did is it distorted the market of buyers and sellers to where there's way more buyers than sellers now. And so I do think that makes kind of all in kind of push your chips in or whatever you want to call it trades harder when you're like a team like the Bulls, let's say, where you want to take Derek Jones Jr. and a first round pick and turn it into another starting caliber player. Well, there's not a lot of teams who are going to be willing to give up a starting caliber player right now because they're all playing for something. So that that becomes a real challenge, especially when Sam's Kings hang on to Harrison Barnes so they can chase 32 wins in the 10th seed. <laughs> that 10th seed, baby. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. It is is, is really there bad. anything sadder than the Kings wanting that 10th seed so bad and the other five teams they're competing with essentially not even really trying for it at all and the Kings still not being good enough to get it? Hey, they're only I, a half listen. game behind the Spurs right now. They get <laughs> they take down Cleveland tonight. They're right in it. All right. They, they still got this. Here's my two observations, and, and Slater knows uh, – this gentleman, I think John, you might've run into him. So James Ham has covered the Kings for a long time mm-hmm. and he's now living the Substack life, which the thing I do love about some of the Substack voices is, is you, you know, some of these folks you're not under the corporate wing, you get a little looser, if you know what I mean, yeah. uh, from a coverage standpoint. So, so James has gotten f- more pointed with his coverage now than he was before. He was on the post-game press conference with Tyrese Halliburton last night. I don't know if you guys saw this clip and, and, uh, as you know, pointed questions go, this was a pretty good one. He says, Tyrese, um, what did you see competitively? You guys look like a team on game number 75 when you're not headed for the playoffs, what happened there? And it was just like, damn, you know, uh-huh. and, and Tyrese, you know, and to his credit, he kind of owned it and said that, that he didn't know the answer, but every night, there's some version of that for the Kings or Alvin Gentry just losing his mind and announcing yet again that it's the worst night of basketball in his 34 years of doing this. Is that so? Is that performative at all? Because I'm with Alvin, like baby to Vivek, because I'm like, really, the worst night is like a you know midseason Kings <laughs> loss. Like he's had, I don't know, he had some like, didn't he have some? Uh, he was coaching the Suns in one of those playoff runs where they had some heartbreakers. Sure, they, yeah. I think it's more like just from a morale pride spirit standpoint uh he's making it really clear he doesn't think too highly of of the way these guys are wired and over time i mean it might win him points with ownership and maybe even the front office and and you know he better hope the locker room i mean listen locker room needs to look different next year so what these players currently think probably doesn't matter all that much but you know i can't imagine he's scoring a ton of points there because it is you know fairly candid criticism coming all the time. Um, but you know, as litmus tests go, it doesn't get much worse than this. Uh, occasional friend who I'll bring up on the pod neighbor, John, who's a big Kings fan told me today that he's, he's, he accidentally agreed to go to the Kings Rockets game on Sunday, which coincides with the 49ers playoff game. And you have this diehard Kings fan who's legitimately pissed basically that he has to go to this Kings game. That's, that's how bad things have gotten in Sacramento. What Anthony, what do you think Sam did to De'Aaron Fox? I think uh, I mean Ellison. Sam that. brought him to neighbor that. John's uh, <laughs> garage, and they pumped too much iron, and, yeah. and took protein <laughs> shakes, and that's what took happened. Took away his speed. Could yeah. <laughs> could be Listen, it. This is friend of the show. Well, I don't think Amin's been on friend in general. Uh, I thought about this earlier, John. Amin about a year ago getting into it with the Aaron Fox on Twitter over the opinion that Amin 
Elisana had shared that that De'Aaron is, you know, or, or uh, who Ja thinks he is, or whatever the hell the saying was. Like De'Aaron and Ja, as a debate, somehow entered the uh, the NBA media conversation a year ago, and it seems pretty absurd at this point. Um, one guy That's- is lapping the other. Yeah, that's like the Darren Williams Chris Paul debate at this point, right? It's not even close. I think that's actually a way better debate. Like at at times, Darren was right there. You know what I mean? At times, but this is this is this is tough. And the hard part for De'Aaron is that, to be honest, in a vacuum, last couple of weeks, like he's been putting up numbers and he, and kind of numbers that weren't there earlier this season when they were struggling. But um, yeah, rough times out here. Barnes is a guy that certainly I think they're going to get calls on. They are wide open, as I've reported. They they you know they do want to build around Halliburton and Fox, but they're you know they're they're taking every single call and, and turning over every stone. They have interest in Simmons. We'll see what happens. John, I have lied to you and kept you way longer than you agreed to go on that huge check that is coming your way. You know I'm sure it'll get bigger for the tampering podcast appearance, but. Feel free to jump if if you need to go. Uh, otherwise, we're going to keep chatting away. I don't want to break I my look, word. I look forward to that $3.75 Starbucks gift certificate, Sam. <laughs> Slay's coming out of Slater's pocket. He's the big money guy. Wow, jeez. <laughs> Take him to his favorite Sacramento uh, coffee shop, which I, I need the name of because I need to get Temple. So, okay. Temple. Temple. There you Temple. Come on. Named, John, named after John knows former, this. former Kings and Grizzlies legend Garrett Temple. Okay, then then get him a gift card there. He actually might appreciate that. <laughs> I like it. John, thank you for joining us, brother. Be good. Right. Keep up the good thank work. Thank you. Enjoy yeah. Memphis. Thanks. Yep. See you. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, Slater, you have also done your time. Um, this is uh, probably going to be the longest day uh, on the beat for you this season, I'm predicting. I, I feel I like know. you don't get... There, there are some days on this beat. Um... <laughs> The worst part is that you not only gave me a ride out to my car last night, but I didn't even come on the All-82 pod. I don't know what kind of teammate I am. That's fine. You know? I got you in the barrel. There's going to be plenty of games down the line that I'm going to uh, <laughs> drag you into. Um, do you? I mean, we didn't talk much because John hopped in so quick. I mean, what were your takeaways from, from that event last night? Um, no, listen, I, I was glad that I went to that game. I... What year was the 60-point game? Oh, that was um, Durant's first year, I believe. So that would have been 17. So that day, um, I, I this is just a memory in my mind. I was going to go to the Warriors game and, you know, like always with this role, you know, there's not necessarily games you have to go to unless you're covering a playoff series during the postseason, whatever. But um, I didn't go to Oracle that day and always regretted it because it was one of those – moments that people talk about. And so there was no way I wasn't going to go see Clay's return. It just kind of felt like another moment where, you know, you can never see a 60 point performance coming, but you know, we knew the mood going into this return. Uh, and we knew we had just seen over the course of really the last year or so that like, you know, as Clay started posting stuff to his, you know, IG account about his boat life and about his, perspective and sharing more of how he was handling this challenge. Uh, you know, I thought Marcus Thompson did a good job capturing this in his column today is just the idea that clay, even beyond basketball had really begun to represent to a lot of people who followed him, uh, you know, it's just kind of a, a neat, positive kind of spirit that, you know, when, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade and, and trying to keep your head and trying to, uh, to, to just grind day after day and see incremental progress. And there was something 
impressive about that and inspirational, if you will, for a lot of people. And so I wanted to see the, the, and hear the reaction from the crowd. The only bummer, if I'm being honest, is that because of this damn virus that we all keep having to fight and navigate. Um, and we talked about this in the press room after is you got 18,000 plus people, most of whom thankfully had masks on. So from a decibel level standpoint, it wasn't the, you know, ear splitting noise that, uh, that you used to hear at Oracle or even as loud as I thought it would be, but there was tons of love, happy for him that he's back doing what he loves to do for a living. And, and I've written that before. Like, I don't care if it's Steve Kerr with his back, any of these guys, you know what I mean? Like if you take the money away from it, this is what they enjoy doing. It's their passion. It's what they're, you know, they kind of feel like professionally they're, they're here on earth to do. So I'm happy for the guy. Um, you know, it was fun to watch. And, uh, like he told you when you asked him post game, you know, Samuel Clay, 18 shots in 20 minutes, the, the only guy in the entire league to, to get that many shots up and, and so little time. Yeah. Um, again, I'm maybe come from it from a more unemotional standpoint. Um, be, I thought you looked good on the court, uh, which it, to me is a big deal moving forward. Uh, you wrote about the defense, you know, I think the tests coming up will be more informative as, as you kind of alluded to, including this one in Memphis tomorrow night, I, you know, no Draymond green in, in the Grizzlies game. Um, but you know, I, I Clay was guarding like Lori Markin in and, and, and kind of the bigger Cavs lineup. I want to see, are there, is there any situations where he gets on Ja Morant? How does he stay laterally with Ja Morant tomorrow night? Desmond Bain is a tough matchup. I just, you know, we're about to see more and more coming up, but I think, you know, first impression, not just the dunk, but, um, the, the, confidence to shoot the jumpers and just really the generally the way he was moving it was like oh yeah that's that is a rotation player that's going to help him and that was kind of the big thing like is he definitely going to be a help right away it looks like he will be i wanted to ask you actually i'm glad you kind of reminded me um you know he he said late in his comments and i'm paraphrasing that you know i can't wait to be that guy defensively who's out there guarding the other team's best player every night and I had some folks in the comment section of my story today kind of rightfully point out, like, or at least raise the question of, is that who they need him to be anymore? Have those days come and gone? Do you think that he's going to be that? And I only ask that because you, Jordan Poole is a very good defender, and I'm not saying by any means he's their stopper now. But you got Gary Payton second, who's phenomenal on that end, who they can obviously throw on some of the league's best wing talents. You know, like, like where is Clay's role defensively when he's at his best and how uh, have things changed possibly from before he got hurt? It, um, you know, there is not much of a, of a burden as maybe there once was on Clay Thompson and shouldn't be Andrew Wiggins um, will, you know, let's say they, they open a playoff series. They're playing the Clippers. Like Andrew Wiggins is going to be guarding Paul George. Let's say they, you know, are facing uh, Portland, even though Portland doesn't look like the Portland of old, but in against the Portland of old, Damian Lillard would be guarded almost primarily by Clay Thompson. I think Wiggins would get a shift. I think Gary Payton, the second who has exploded onto the scene and, and it just had his contract guaranteed and is viewed as a, as a, you know, a, a firm rotation piece the rest of the season. I think he would get a long stints and, and Clay would find him. I think will find himself for possessions on these guys, but he won't be, you know, when he was like 38 minute per night workhorse, like chasing, you know, all the best players around that is no longer happening. But at the same time, like this, the identity of this Warriors team is best defense in the league. They have bad offensive nights. Every single one of their losses this season has been on a bad offensive night. They've actually scored fewer than hundred points in three straight games. Um, and I think that Clay Thompson will boost the offense and that's important, but for them to win the title, they need to just be absolutely sturdy at every position defensively. And that will include Clay Thompson bringing just that defensive uh, endurance, focus, strength, uh, and, and lateral quickness, which is probably my biggest question mark on it is like, how does he deal with speed? There was one possession last night where he got blown by. Um, so to, to, you know, in a roundabout way to answer your question, like, no, he, he definitely doesn't have the burden he previously did, but he's, he's going to have to be a good defender for 30 minutes a night in the playoffs because they need good defenders everywhere to win the way that they want to win. Within that. Um, and I, I, and I'm not even trying to be funny. I, I should have uh, checked in with you last night before writing this. It's, it's your beat and, you know, you and Marcus are always all over it with uh, Mr. Kawakami. But 
I had written based on the intel that came my way that that their kind of rough plan uh, with the team and Clay was to get him back and kind of completely have the reins off from a playing time standpoint, you know, as the postseason neared, uh, that it was going to be a slow progressive thing and, and some kind of sense of like, you know, don't be surprised a few weeks from now if Clay's starting to get impatient, you know, like now that he's back uh, on hey, the court. a few weeks from now, did you see when he got pulled with like 2.30 yeah. left? He looked over at yeah. pool. He's like, me? Really, me? And it's yeah. like, eh, obviously you. And then I remember the crowd started chanting like a minute later, like, we want Clay. It was like, not happening. I don't think Rick Celebrini green light in that one. So what do you think? I mean, what's real, like, what's the plan versus what kind of reality might we be looking at as far as when he's just out there playing? And if he plays 39 minutes, he plays 39 minutes. Yeah, look, we're, I mean, you're going to see different examples of this tug of war between Clay and Celebrini and and Kerr and like the patient approach, which, you know, that it's been going on behind the scenes the last month to, to try to figure out when he would finally be greenlit to play. But now you'll see it in front of cameras, essentially, where this week is a good example. They have two absolutely marquee games later this week. They play at Chicago and at Milwaukee. It's actually Milwaukee's the first one. I believe it's well, Thursday, Friday night. Uh, both are, I think it's TNT ESPN. I'm not sure, but I mean, those are two really good games, right? Those are that that's the, you know, the, the defending Eastern conference champs and then the current one seed in the East. And it's a back to back. And, and Kerr has already said the, they don't expect to play them on both sides of a back to back. So number one, which side of that back to back do you pick to play clay Thompson? And two, how is he going to be like, um, like he's going to want to now that he's like, you know, tasted blood a little bit. He's going to want to be out there every night. Um, and and I think that is coming up is going to be, um, you know, a tough conversation with him. I do think um, the I think the all star break will be kind of a key um demarcation point i think they're going to really ease it up until the all-star break and maybe try to get him into the 20s and maybe dip their toes towards 30 but i think and you i mean you know how it works with the all-star break it is kind of this like really kind of get away for a little bit come back refreshed point of the season for for a lot of teams i think that's when there's going to start to be like a feel of like you know like get him playoff ready um when they come back from the break Good stuff, brother. Hey, I think you have uh, your next event to get to. I think it's a James Wiseman uh, tribute ceremony. What are we doing? Either, What's the event? So I have What's two happening? choices. Either I'm in downtown Memphis right now. Either I go east and I go to James Wiseman's high school retirement tonight, or I go south. I actually cross state borders, go into Mississippi, and watch the Memphis Hustle and the Santa Cruz Warriors because Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody are playing in that game. It's a tough decision here. I mean, I don't know. One one is a game that would be fun to watch, a little different flavor. But you know, Wiseman is an important piece of their story. You know, be, probably be good. So you're telling kind of me high school jersey? You've decided it for me. I'm going to go to the high school jersey retirement. I can watch synergy clips of the G League game. Later. <laughs> or you know, option C, just head for Blue City Cafe down on Beale Street. Oh, option you know. C can wait till later. <laughs> good stuff all right man thank you for doing this joking aside i know it's a long day and you made sure to uh to squeeze it in so appreciate you thank you as always to the tampering listeners we will be back next week and we didn't even give a little love to our guy fred Katz, who could not join us this week fred will be back hopefully next week and uh we appreciate you guys talk to you next week thank you